This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Lots and lots to go over after the holidays. Hope you guys are getting some time to enjoy with your family and not back to work right away. We are back on it, back to the grind, and uh, lots of stuff going on this morning. Jackson Kirkland announced that he would be returning. Uh, Zion Tupaola Fatui named third-team All-American. Steve Sarkeesian with a big award. What's going on at Boise State? Could that impact the Husky coaching staff? And Pro Dogs with big days, but uh, I think the biggest news of the day, guys, is Jackson Kirkland, the starting left tackle for Washington, deciding to come back and return, which will give them all five starters returning on the offensive line, Scott, and you know how important that is to have that continuity. Absolutely, and you know, one of the things is when uh, uh, Luke Wattenberg decided to come back, I made some calls to some different people, and it sounded like he was really working on uh, Kirkland to come back too, um, but as you and I talked about, Kim, that it really came down to what he his dad kind of wanted him to do. Um, Dean is a very influential person in, in Jackson's life and, and he, whatever he wanted his son to do was probably what was going to happen. And it sounds like with Jackson Kirkland, uh, he had a solid, I would say a pretty solid four games at left tackle and he reshaped his body. He looks more like a tackle now instead of a guard, but, um, for him to be able to come back uh, if, as long as he stays healthy, knock on wood, uh, you know, and ha- if he has another really good year, I think his stock could go up, you know, early first or early second round, um, second round kind of a guy. I don't see him. I just don't know if he's quite the athlete to be a, get himself into that first round, but who knows? You know, there's lots of guys who I've, I've kind of questioned why that guy was taken and, and he ended up being a pretty good guy. So, um, good, good for, uh, Jackson Kirkland, I think in the long run, but also for the Washington Huskies to get their two most experienced offensive linemen back and, and all the, you know, four starts for, for Bainavalu, for Ale and for Kern can't do nothing but, but be good for Washington. Chris, when Jackson Kirkland showed up on campus, he was a big dude. I mean, he was big. You know, they listed him at 330. My gut says he was a little bit bigger than that. He's lost weight. He's all the way down to 295, and then he switched positions. Do you think, you know, just factoring into the decision was um, maybe getting a grade back from the NFL, hearing back from the scouts? Um, personally, I think he needs to put on about 15 more pounds and get up into the, about the 310 range because he's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's a big dude. But I just think that coming back for another year and putting some additional weight on, how much do you think not only switching positions – but losing all that weight impacted what he does on the football field. Well, there's a ton of an impact. I mean, it's totally different positions for starters. Um, I, I just want to know, have we heard anything definitive on Henry Bainavalu? No. Do we know for sure that he's returning? I mean, I'm not trying to rain on the parade here, but 
Um, no, we have no, no, we haven't. No. Okay, I fully expect him to return, but until he literally comes out and says it, I, I you know, you have no idea. But in terms of the impact overall, um, clearly Jackson Kirkland and his family and everyone else fully bought into the plan that Jimmy Lake and Scott Huff and John Donovan had for him coming into this season, which was move to the marquee position. You're good enough to play it. You're athletic enough to play it. If you drop some weight so that your feet get quicker, you have all the ability in the world to be a dominant left tackle and be a future NFL player at that level. And then obviously left tackles are supremely coveted, high value, a lot of money there in that market. So I'm sure he saw all the things in place and he fully bought in clearly losing. Like you said, he went from 330 to 290, 295. Um, it's going to be easier for him to now gain the right weight to get, to get to 310, 315, which would obviously be ideal. He would be in the same kind of range body size wise as like a, a um, Caleb McGarry, for instance. So there's so many positives to that move, Cam. And, and the fact that he is coming back for one more year just shows uh, how invested he is in the process and how much he believes in Scott Huff and Jimmy Lake and John Donovan to, to, you know, take his game to the next yeah. level. So he's fully ready. Do you think 295 is too light? I don't know if it's too light. I don't At remember six. him really getting rolled or anything. I mean, they had, they still had the best in terms of pass protection. They still had the best, uh, offensive line in terms of giving up sacks and, and whatnot. Now a lot of that had to do with, um, with Dylan Morris doing really, really well in terms of getting rid of the ball quickly, making quick decisions, that always helps. But I don't really remember Jackson Kirkland just getting run by guys and, and having an issue that way. But, you know, 10, 15 more pounds of the right weight is the key. And that, and that will, that will be, that will determine how much weight he should reasonably gain before moving to the next level. Yeah, what's interesting on that is I'm taking a look at the uh, pro football focus grades, and uh, they've got him listed as the 69th highest rated offensive tackle. Now, you know, that's a short um, sample size with only four games, but um, really highly graded for his pass protection, but he's a little underwhelming in his um, run blocking. And that's where I'm wondering if he might be a little bit um, you know, too light because there's a big discrepancy in the grades between his pass blocking and his run blocking. But yeah, but, but the left tackles are known for what? Protecting yeah, quarterbacks yeah. side on, yeah. on the right-handed quarterbacks. So he, he's not going to get paid at the next level to be a supreme run blocker. He needs to be, he needs to be a good run blocker. Don't, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize that, but the focus in getting Jackson Kirkland ready for the next level is for him to be out on an island and to dominate those rush ends and those quick guys trying to get around him. And, and I think so far so good. He clearly uh, feels the need to improve. He wants to improve. He he likes the plan and the track that they're on right now. So in his mind, it's like, let's keep it going. We've got a good thing going. Hopefully they can play 12, 13, 14 games in 2021. And if that's the case and he gets a full season under his belt, watch out. I think it could be really, really good for him. And, Scott, what's interesting is you take a look at uh, Jackson Kirkland and then you take a look at the other tackle. And I know a lot of people don't focus on, you know, the offensive line when they're watching the game. But, you know, with uh, Jackson Kirkland listed as the 69th best tackle in the country, Victor Kern was rated higher at number uh, 44. And uh, he's got a pretty um, evenly graded between pass blocking and run blocking, pretty even at both of them. But uh, a little surprising that Victor Kern would uh, rate out higher than Jackson Kirkland. Um, 
maybe just a little bit because he's played that position before, whereas Jackson Kirkland hadn't been playing at that position, at least in college. You know, he played at left tackle in, in high school, but once he got to college, he was always inside at guard. And Kern has been outside since he arrived at the University of Washington. But um, the thing about Kern, and as much as I love the kid, I think he's a really good player, he is he's not going to be highly coveted by NFL teams as a tackle. He's going to have to either move inside the center or guard and that's that could be a situation where it allows Washington to keep him around for his full time in college because he might not be projected to go very high because of the position he plays and 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 the and his body you know his frame so um it doesn't surprise me because he's played it before and I think Vic Vic Kern is a pretty darn talented kid but I think in the long run if you know over the over the span of time and after getting just a little bit of a taste. Like Jackson Sermon did, or Jackson Kirkland did, I think Washington's going to be in. I think he's going to grade out better at going forward in the as as time progresses. How big of a get is it to have uh, Luke Wattenberg return? Oh, it's huge. I mean, he he looked like a natural at center. Um, he got more comfortable. His snaps. I remember to talking to somebody and saying, "Man, those snaps were like being fired out of a cannon toward a." toward uh Dylan Morris but I mean the snaps for the most part weren't errant they were they were right where they needed to be and and set him up well he basically made all the line calls for the offensive line um and we really didn't see a lot of protection breakdowns I mean there were a few times when when Dylan Morris was getting harassed more than he was used to but they really only gave up one sack and that one sack was only technically a sack because Dylan Morris decided to run out of bounds one yard before the line of scrimmage. Other than that, in four games, not giving up a sack. When was the last time that happened for the University of Washington? I mean, you just don't see that that much. And then when you talk about the fact that basically there were five brand new offensive linemen playing positions um, for Washington, there were two experienced guys coming back, but they were playing completely different positions. MJ Ali has ne- had never started a game. He'd played a little bit, but had never started a game. And Vic Kern and Henry Bainavalu both were were talented guys, but didn't have a lot of playing time. So, you know, I think they did pretty darn well considering everything. And and a lot of that can be attributed to Luke Wattenberg, who stepped in at center and I think really looked like the guy for him to come back um, to put more film on tape at center. I think that does nothing but help him, and it helps the University of Washington. And it definitely helps the quarterbacks. Oh, absolutely. I don't think you can, you can stress how, how nice it is for a guy like Dylan Morris and eventually Sam Heward, um, whenever he gets in there, whether it's this, this fall, this coming fall, hopefully there's a season and, uh, or, uh, next year, you know, the following year in 2022. But whoever he gets, uh, it would be nice if he could be a battery mate with that guy, uh, Miles Mirau. Uh, Mateo Melee, whoever that is, uh, for a couple of years so they can get that, that timing down. Transfer portal. Uh, Jacob Sermon winding up at Central Michigan. Uh, Jordan Chin uh, winding up at Sac State. Uh, a couple of walk-ons in the transfer portal as well. And uh, Kevin Thompson, the quarterback, who I think he's, what, 25, 26 years old now, uh, announced that he wouldn't be coming back with uh, Sermon going into the transfer portal. And, uh, boy, it leaves him kind of, kind of, uh, kind of shorthanded back there, Chris. You missed, you missed the main one. Ethan Garbers. Oh, yeah, Ethan Garbers, yeah. This this is creating this is why it's creating such a uh, 
conundrum at quarterback for Washington. I um, think that's the surprising one, wouldn't you? I think I, I, we could see Sermon coming, but you kind of surprised at Ethan Garbers? Very surprised, um, only in the sense that, you know, you get four games. It, 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 2020 is kind of a cluster to begin with. Um, you're going into a portal where there's it feels like there's 2,000 guys in it right now. Um, and it's not to say that he can't find a great landing spot because he's so early in his career. I'm sure he'll, he will be a coveted guy. And there's also nothing to say that he doesn't come back. We saw that the first time with Jacob Sermon. So that people should keep that in mind too. I mean, he may be in the transfer portal now, but he can return to Washington if, uh, if he has a change of heart or gets re-recruited or whatever, uh, at this point. Uh, but that was pretty shocking and it really does leave Washington really, really light at this point because they're only going to have two scholarship quarterbacks as of now. And they only have one on campus literally as of now with Dylan Morris. Uh, Sam Heward will be there. Uh, I think that will all depend and Scott can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think that will all depend on whether or not there's a senior season in the state of Washington for high schools. If there is, we expect Heward to play. If not, then we would expect Heward to enroll. And, and try to get in spring if they have spring football. So, um, you know, there's You're 100% a hundred percent correct on that, Chris. Yeah. There's a lot of things going on. Um, but yeah, the idea that Ethan Garvers was going to leave after one year, um, seems kind of strange, but I, I will never judge it, especially in a year with COVID, especially in a year where you don't know what their family situation is like, what the health situation's like, what their own personal situation's like. You know, a lot of times these kids, especially when you make decisions and you're signing with teams, and now you haven't been able to maybe even see them. Um, I think this is going to end up being a lot more normal than none of us would ever want in terms of just guys, you know, signing with, with programs sight unseen or maybe had seen them once, but hadn't been able to take an official visit, for instance, and then all of a sudden get on campus and realize pretty quickly, Oh yeah, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Now I'm not saying that's the case with Ethan Garber's. But I do think that this is a trend that we're going to see more and more uh, as we go on. But we also saw Kevin Thompson, Kim. Washington was able to get a pretty a, a high-quality grad transfer in, and unfortunately due to injury, he wasn't able to play. If they can go ahead and start to find more of those guys, I won't be surprised if they can uh, find a quality quarterback to transfer in, especially with the numbers so light. But Washington has just not been great with getting grad transfers, it's the school. It's a tough school to get in. And for transfer, for eligibility, for credits to, to roll over, there are all sorts of things that you have to take into account when transferring to UW. Right. It's not easy. Right. Yeah, and just real quick, Chris, um was talking to some people, and the rules for the grad transfer actually eased and made it a little bit easier where you had to go to a school, for example, if you're an aeronautical engineer at a school, you would have to go to a school where you could further and get your MBA in that. But uh, evidently, they've changed the rules, so you don't have to go to the school that offers the same major. You can go to school and take complete other classes, which makes it a lot easier uh, for those grad transfers. But hey, Scott, with Ethan Garbers, you followed his recruiting pretty, um, pretty tight. I don't know if you remember or not. Who was the second choice for him? Was it Cal? Uh, I, I know Cal was up there for him. I, I and I, I don't have his, 
his profile pulled up in front of me. I know that there were some other schools that were coming on for him. I know Fresno State was also a consideration. But, yeah, Cal was one I think a lot of people thought he was going to end up at because that's where his brother is. But I think he wanted to kind of carve his own path. So it will be interesting to see whether he wants to follow in his brother's footsteps. Uh, either way, if he goes to Cal or Fresno State, a lot of people think it could end up being Fresno State. But if he goes to uh, Cal or Fresno State, he's still relatively close to home and and uh, is is familiar with that area. And I think if they get a grad transfer, Scott, they're going to have to bring somebody that understands that you're going to be a practice player. I don't think they're looking for a grad transfer to come in and uh, start and take over that position, which is what a lot of grad transfers want to do. So in terms of getting a grad transfer at quarterback, they're just looking for a practice arm. Am well, I wrong on that? Yeah, I think you are wrong. And it, and I don't mean that to be uh, glib or anything like that. But basically what they're going to do is they're going to tell a guy, hey, you want to come in and compete? You can compete. There is not a starting spot open from the standpoint that no one is an established starter. Dylan Morris is the established starter here, and you've got a, a five-star quarterback coming in. But we would like I, – I really do think in the long run, I think it's going to be Dylan Morris – um, as the starter and the, I think the, the family, the, the school would like to redshirt, um, Sam Heward as much as possible, but, um, we'll just have to see how that works out, obviously. But, um, I think any quarterback who's going to come in here, maybe you don't promise them the starting gig like, like, um, you know, some of these other places have promised, um, uh, Derek King down at Miami, um, but look what happened with the guy that transferred in from Wake Forest to Oregon, the University of Oregon. Yep. I mean, that situation, I can't remember his, what his name was, but he was a big time guy and he goes up to Oregon and he saw, I don't know how many reps he got, but not many. Yeah. It was less than 20. And, you know, cause I watched pretty much every Oregon game and Tyler Shuck was, was the guy. So, um, you know, Maybe it's a guy you tell, hey, if you come in and you're better than Dylan Morris, you'll be the starter. But it's not being promised to you. So if you want to come in here and compete, go to great university, be part of a great program, come and be a part of it. We, we really could use another quarterback in our room. But you're not being promised the starting gig. I think that's where you have it wrong, Kim. Telling him that he's definitely going to be a practice player is not going to be appealing to somebody. You're going to have to sell it as we're going to let you battle with Dylan Morris. But if you don't win it, you're probably going to be our primary backup so that we can redshirt Sam Heward. And if that's the case, so be it. Who was the uh, JC guy they brought in a few years back? What was his uh, name? Tony, Tony Rodriguez. Yeah. Are they looking for Tony? No, they're looking for better than Tony. They're looking for better than Kevin Thompson. So, I mean, you're looking for a guy who, if Dylan Morris, God forbid, goes down, twelve a 12-game 12 season, how many times does it happen that one quarterback takes every every snap and and starts every game nowadays. It just it's happening a lot happen. more because they they can't get hit. Well, yeah, but I mean, with the quarterbacks running as much as they yeah. do now, um, I just there's way more guys not playing, not starting, and playing a full season, especially when you're talking about 12, 13, 14 game season. So. Um, I, I think anybody who comes in, you can tell them, hey, even if you don't win the starting gig, you're our number two guy because we want to redshirt Sam. And if if Dylan Morris gets hurt and the chances are likely that he's going to be miss at least a game during the season, 
you're going to be our starter and that's going to be your opportunity. So come on in and play. And you and I are going to disagree on this, but with Sam Heward, I think, um, you know, from what I understand, Sam's taking college courses already online and he could enroll early. If there's a co- if there's a high school football season, he will play. If he stays, um, if he comes in early and is here for spring football, if he is here for spring football, I would say that Sam Heward will be the starting quarterback next year. If he doesn't come in till fall, I think it will be Dylan Morrison as the year goes on. We still may see uh, Sam at some point, but um, I know that you think it's Dylan, but uh, I guess we'll. I'm not saying it's anyone. I, I think it, but I think it's going to be real hard to ask a guy who has never taken a snap under center. Uh, to come in and, and even if, even if John Donovan changes the offense a little bit to fit Sam Heward, which I would expect to happen a little bit, even if it's only 50% of the snaps are going to be under center, it's something Sam Heward has never done. He's never had to read defenses while he's going back for a full seven step drop. I'm not saying the kid can't do it. He's as talented as any quarterback we've seen come out of this state ever. And I would, I would wager that he's, more talented than pretty much every quarterback I've ever seen on the recruiting front. You know, I did see Trevor Lawrence, so maybe we throw him out. I saw him live at the at the opening that one year. But other than that, I, I have not seen a guy as good as Sam Heward come out of high school. Now that being said, there's a <laughs> Dylan Morris looked just fine and this he's a perfect fit for this offense. And as he gets better and gets more comfortable, he's got four games under his belt. He's been in college for two years before Sam Heward ever sets foot on a college football campus. I, I'm i not saying Sam can't do it because I'm far be it from me to ever say that Sam Heward can't do anything because I'm sure he probably could. But I, I think, I think you're giving, I don't think you're giving enough consideration to the fact with Dylan's experience with this offense and all the things that go into it. I, I think you're being a little, little short-sighted, but you know that's that's the whole point. Is we disagree, and that's fine. Chris, um, another big news thing this morning: um, ZTF Zion uh, Tupaola Fatui named third team. Not you know some of the little rinky-dink uh, you know publications, but AP third team All-American. That's a huge honor. Uh, for Zion. Are you a little bit surprised at that? I am, but it, it has nothing to do with Zion. It has everything to do with the, sh- with the small sample size. I mean, how many guys on that, on, on any of those all American teams only played three ga- or four games? That to me is, is the telling thing. But when you, but seriously though, when you have a guy that's only played four games, but as an, as an outside linebacker has any, and he only racked up 13 tackles. But seven of those were tackles for loss. Seven of them also happened to be sacks. He had the, he, and he had the fumble recovery. He had three forced fumbles. I mean, the, the, the numbers that he was able to generate in the short amount of time that he was able to play this fall really speaks to just how effective people believe he would have been all year long. So I think, I think a lot of it is benefit of the doubt, but also a lot of it is when he was in the game, he was making splash plays all the time. And so that that's a testament to Zion. That's a testament to his coaches and getting him ready to go and him taking the next step. But yeah, ultimately I was surprised because I don't see too many other guys on those lists only playing four games. So he he certainly got a lot of benefit of the doubt, but I think a lot of it's very justified. Um well and well, other- you gotta remember you gotta remember too, there was only two other Pac twelve players on all three of those teams. 
Right. And I think know, that's and, also a testament and, to the fact that they're just not a lot, not big sample sizes here. Yeah. And, and I think that really played into it. Well, how many people, I mean, let's be honest, how many people out there, you know, that are even voting, what percentage of those, and it's going to be higher than the norm, but how many of them really actually saw Washington play, you know, with the night games that they had and just the scheduling. So that's, what's interesting to me that, People actually knew about him that uh, are on the on the wrong coast. I think Kim, Kim, to be honest, I think nowadays this is that's a function of just video being available now. YouTube yeah. has twenty minute highlight games of of every game in existence nowadays. There's a lot of people out there that are that are putting those extended highlights out there. So I think that really benefits guys on the West Coast in general, but certainly a guy like Zion benefits from that too. Huge honor for him. A little, people a little bit surprised that they didn't see Elijah Molden on there. I, I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, there's a he could have made a good shout. I mean, both both him and uh, Halano Tufunga at USC to me were the outstanding defensive uh, players this fall. And again, no disrespect to Zion, um, but you know, because I think Zion three out of the four games. He was beyond dominant. He was unstoppable, but he did have the one game against Stanford where it was, where it was rough for him. I can't say the same thing about Elijah Molden or the games that Hafunga played. I thought those guys were dominant in every game they played. I thought they were difference makers in every game they played. Um, yeah, I, I was very surprised to be honest. And Scott, you a little bit surprised with that? Oh, absolutely. I, I expected Elijah Molden to at least make a third team. Um, you can't tell me there are, what did they, I don't, you know what, I didn't look that closely if they listed five or four guys, um, but I, I just don't know how you could say that, that, uh, there are 15 guys better than, uh, Elijah Molden out there. Now, there's some talented kids. Don't get me, don't get me wrong, but he's versatile. He can play safety. He can play regular corner. He can play slot. And, you know, it, it's just, in to me it 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 lessens the prestige of of uh what the AP did by not including a guy like Elijah Molden but it is what it is i mean zion i the only to me the only reason why zion made the list was because he had seven sacks in three games because that that fourth game he was dominated but that seven sacks in three games you just it, it pops out and, it, and everybody said, I mean, I think Kirk Herbstreit on game day called him the most dominant defensive player in the, in the country right now. So I, I think it was almost impossible to leave him off because of what he did. But I think if you talk about overall consistency and what he was able to do in that secondary, I, Elijah Molden was the best defensive player on this team, bar none, in my opinion. And also, real quick, I would say too, that when we're looking at all American teams, like postseason teams and whatnot, a lot of this can also be down to function of, of just top to bottom, these position groups and how strong they are at the very top. This, you know, because this could be a situation where Zion, because of what Scott just said, seven sacks in three games, essentially, you know, that, that pops out, but that's also a situation where he's showing up on the stats list nationally every single week, even though Washington's not playing and he's still showing up there week after week. A guy like Elijah Molden may suffer from the same type of, of, of lack of game time that is, that might actually help a guy like Zion, ironically enough, in the long run. But there may have also been a lot more secondary guys involved in that top to bottom list than there were straight up rush guys. For instance, the rush, the rush 
situation may have been a little thinner top to bottom this year, maybe compared to other years. So, you know, maybe Zion doesn't get on that list if the, if the, you know, same exact stats are put on last year's uh, group, for instance, or, you know, if we even extrapolate to next year. He's got a couple more years of eligibility left, but with Zion Scott, is he a one trick pony? Is he a, you know, uh, is he a situational guy or is he a, is that three down guy? Right now, he's not a three down guy. Are you talking about the NFL or in in college? He's just right, even right now. Right now, he's an every down guy in college, definitely, but he's got to get better at stopping the run, holding the edge. If he was going to the NFL, if he was a senior this year and, and had no chance to return, he'd be, he'd struggle to, to be drafted partly because you cannot have a guy who can't hold the edge because the NFL only gets 53 guys and usually 42 of those, I'm sorry, 42 of them, 26, maybe 20, maybe 25 are, are only going to be on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, it's, you're, you're, you get real thin real fast if you're going for guys who are just situational players. So, um, he's got at least another year, if not two, where he's going to need to get stronger. He needs to get in the weight room. You could see how undefined his arms are. Not that, that that's the end all be all, but he couldn't hold the point of attack very well. He didn't set the edge very well. He was exposed against Stanford, still had a decent game, still made some plays. But um, I think another year minimum, if not another two years in the system and learning all the technique that he needs and getting stronger, I think that's only going to help him. And and if he keeps rushing the quarterback like he does and he improves as a run stopper, that's a first-round talent right there, mid-first-round guy. Hey, Kip, real quick, I was going to say, that, to go on what Scott just added there, we really just saw in a four-game season kind of the, the same – kind of ramping up the learning curve that Zion went through that Joe Tryon did the year before. I mean, we're seeing almost the exact same maturation process, the exact same mistakes that were being made out on the edge, you know, not setting an edge, maybe going inside too quickly, allowing plays to spill outside, for instance. These are all, these are all things that Joe Tryon learned the hard way too. All those guys learned those things the hard way. Zion is, he's right on track. I mean, he is right on track. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he, if they play 12, 13, 14 games next year and he does everything everybody's expecting him to do. He, he probably goes pro after 2021, but he does have that extra year where he could, he could certainly say, you know what? I, I feel great. I'm in a, I'm in a good situation, but I have a lot more to learn and I could play another year at college. No problem. But again, I really see a lot of similarities between what Zion did this year compared to what Joe Tryon did the year before. And Scott, he's got a little bit different body size than uh, your typical edge rusher. He's like 6'3", 280. And a lot of the time you're seeing guys that are those edge rushers that have more of a build that are more lean, more like, you know, basketball players like a Kayvon Thibodeau or a Joe Tryon. But uh, he's a little bit different cat body wise. Yeah, he is. But you would never guess that he was 280 by the way he carries it around and how explosive he is off of the line. You look at it and he doesn't look 280. But he is, and that's a great thing for him. He could get up to 290. If you can, if you can get up to 290 and still be able to come off the edge like he was able to, I think, you know, cause obviously any NFL coach is going to want a guy who's 6'5", 290 pounds coming off of the edge, being able to fly around and make plays. The bigger and faster and stronger you can get on the edge, the better. But 
you know, it, you just don't see a lot of guys who are able to do that. So can Zion gain that, that size and, and, uh, bulk and everything like that and still be able to rush the passer like he is? You know, it's going to be a delicate balance that he's going to have to find and coach Saha and his staff are going to have to work on and get him a workout program that can make sure that he is able to do those things. And I think they will be able to do that. I think he's talented enough to do it. He's got great pass rushing instincts, but uh, needs to develop more moves. And, I mean, that's just – I mean, and Chris, I, I couldn't have said it better than you did. He's right on the same uh, trajectory that Joe Tryon was. Uh, and Joe Tryon's happened in, what, week three against Cal. And by the end of the last season, that was when he was dominant. I think Zion Tupuola Fatui – would have been that same guy had we played a full season this year. And what's interesting too is if, you know, as much as guys are looking for that uh, edge rusher, being able to get to the passer from the inside is huge as well. And, you know, if Braylon Trice, you know, we see the development from him next year and we can get somebody like that coming off the edge or move a Ryan Bowman out there and then uh, move Zion inside once in a while and get that interior pass rush, that just gives you so many different options to play with. So yeah, you do, well, you've got a situation now where you know Savell Smalls has, even though he, again short season, but I'm sure he learned a ton in those four games. He he got a lot of lessons, and so that's another guy. You move in him with him. You got Cooper McDonald who played three games. Um, again, you're talking about Braylon Trice. You're talking about you know if Ryan Bowman returns, that would be monster. Um, there there are a lot of exciting. There's a lot of reasons to be excited. Uh, if you're a Washington fan, about what they could do in terms of bringing heat off the edge next year. And a lot of it has to do with all of those guys taking a step forward in 2020. I think Trice is clearly the biggest question mark because we really didn't see him at all. Um, Leatu Latu, yeah, it's tougher because, you know, he didn't get to play at all. He was banged up. But we saw enough of him in 2019 to know he could be a real impact guy when he's on his game and he's firing. So there's there's a lot of reasons to be excited uh for if if you're a Washington fan and and you like the idea of the 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 pocket getting collapsed and the guys also bringing it from the inside when you talk about uh guys like Taimani and uh you know Tuli Latui Gasnoa um you know they they've got some bodies in there Fatui to uh Tuatele yep. uh Jacob Bandis you know there's a reason if if you if you like good fronts I think Washington's future looks pretty good right now. Quick word from our sponsor when we return. Um, big honor for former head coach, University of Washington, Steve Sarkeesian. Also, the football coach search at Boise State. How could that impact Washington? Could they possibly take a coach or two off the Washington roster or somebody with uh, some ties to Washington? And that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Kim Grinnells with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. New Year's Eve coming up and, uh, big announcement today. 
Steve Sarkeesian, the former head coach at University of Washington and USC. Sark named the Broyles uh, Award winner today, which is for the top assistant coach in the country. And Scott, that, I, I think that's huge for Steve. He's come a long ways. Um, he had his demons while he was here. Um, those were, um, what's the right word? Basically gasoline throwing on his demons uh, down at USC. But uh, he's done a nice job with the Atlanta Falcons and now at Alabama. And I don't think there's a hotter coach in college football right now than Steve Sarkeesian. Well, the fact that he has uh, head coaching experience, two different places, helped rebuild Washington from where it was, um, you know, is always going to recruit really well, especially on the West Coast. He's a guy, He, I think he's learned some lessons, um, just a lot of different things. He, there's no questioning him as a play caller. A lot of people consider him one of the top two or three play callers in the entire country. One thing I'll say is, with the top talent that they have on that offense, it's hard not to look great. So, um, you know, well, Alabama's offense, uh, Alabama's offense hasn't been that great before Steve got there. No, and I, and I get it. But when you're, when, when you got a guy like Najee Harris and some of these other running backs that they can just throw out there and you're just like, holy crap, it's just one right after the other. You know, they're, they're wide receivers. Dante Smith, uh, just unbelievable, unbelievable speed can get, get deep. You got Mac Jones, who's, who's able to throw the ball. Seems like more of a game manager, but he seems more like, uh, McElroy to me than some of these other guys, Tua Tonga Bailoa and, and Jalen Hurts. But, but, um, you know, just, uh, a, a, they've, they've got a great team and he's making good use of the assets that he has. Can he, recruit still recruit at the level that he needs to what's his coaching tree look like all those different things um yeah i i'm gonna be real interested to see where he ends up i think he's going to end up being a head coach somewhere but usually he's in place by now if he's if he's gonna take a job so uh i think it's gonna happen real fast if it happens but obviously he's gonna be coaching in in the uh in the bowl game and then the the if they win that then then the um than the playoff, than the national championship game. So, um, you know, we'll just have to see. But yeah, I couldn't be happier for him. Always treated us really well. Always treated the fans here at the at Washington really well. I know a lot of people want to call him Seven Win Steve, but considering where Washington was and what he had to work with and build them up from, I think he left Chris Peterson in a really good spot to make that run in 2016 and uh, have them. And and then Chris Peterson and his staff took it from there and, and even elevated it a little bit further. Sometimes you can only do so much at, at a level. So, um, yeah, happy for uh, Steve Sarkeesian, and I think it's good for college football if he's a head coach somewhere. I heard an interesting nickname for Nick Saban, by the way. I was talking to John Clayton about uh, Sark, but uh, you know, what he, have you heard this, any nicknames for uh, Nick Saban at all, Scott? Um, none that can be repeated. Yeah, uh, John called him the Nictator. Oh yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. You know what? The guy can coach, and that's why he's been able to stick with jobs for as long as he has. But man, he is—he is a guy that uh, man. It—it's hard to believe that he can fit in the room sometimes with the, where, where his head is and his ego is. But you know what? He's earned the right to have that because I—I I don't know if we can say there's a greater coach to ever lace him up. And, and coach. I mean, you've, you've got Bear Bryant, you've got Joe Paterno, you've got, um, Eddie Robinson down at, down at Grambling, but for Nick Saban, how, and, and Urban Meyer's probably right up there with him. 
Um, he's, he's won national championships at two different schools. He helped build up, um, Michigan State back, back up a little bit when he was up there. He learned under Don James. He's, I mean, I, I just don't know if you can, if you can point out a, a coach and say anybody is demonstrably better than, than, uh, Nick Saban. Well, I think the interesting thing is with Sark is where he winds up. Um, part of the problem with Sark right now is he's making 2.5. You know, the, the guy that just got hired at Arizona is making 1.8. If that gives you an idea, and the, the um, Brian Harson at Boise State was making 1.5, so I don't think Sark would leave Alabama for a coaching head coaching job in uh, college football unless it was the right fit. You know, it would have to be an elite elite program, I think, in order for him to take that job. But what's interesting is the talk about him possibly going to the NFL as a coordinator and just leaving college altogether. Um, there's a lot of rumors that Brian Schottenheimer uh, for the Seahawks will get some head coaching looks, most notably uh, Houston Texans, because there's a connection with, between, um, I think it's the general manager and Schottenheimer or the owner and Schottenheimer. But if Brian Schottenheimer was to leave the um, Seahawks, Boy, how good of a fit would that be with Pete Carroll that he's worked with him before and knows what he wants to do? And all he's got to do is have one good year in the NFL, and he will get NFL looks the following year. So I, I think that would be huge uh, for Sark. I think if you go to the NFL and have one good year and you go to the right situation, you're ripe to get an NFL gig. And you guys remember this. He got offered a head coaching gig in the NFL. He got offered the Oakland Raiders job back in the day. He turned it down, and Lane Kiffin took it, and we all know what happened with that. So um, we'll see what happens. Jamarcus uh, Russell happened with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, but, uh, Chris, I think the more interesting storyline rather than, uh, other than Sark is following the Boise State, uh, opening Brian Harson, the head coach there, of course, going to Auburn and, uh, that opening and Kellen Moore, the rock star in Boise, who's the offensive coordinator at Dallas is said to be the leading candidate and Andy Avalos, the defensive coordinator at Oregon is supposed to be high up on that list. And I'm expecting to hear something in the next couple of days on that, but, um, you know, just your thoughts on that situation, as well as if um, Kellen Moore took that position, could that impact anybody currently on the staff at Washington? Well, I think it could. But but going back to the bigger issue um, right now, Boise State's trying to run a coaching search without an AD. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that they're going to hire their AD first so that the AD can hire the head coach. So that will obviously impact you know, the timeline, how that affects recruiting going into February. I don't know how well Boise has been able to retain the guys that signed with them mid-year, how many guys they're going to have to re-recruit or try to find in February, for instance. So there's obviously a ton of moving pieces in the Boise job. But one thing I would, if you want to kind of tie it back to what you were talking about with Sark in the NFL, right now Kellen Moore is in a very, very coveted, situation at Dallas I mean he's kind of like the backup quarterback there you know he's the guy that everyone loves because he's not the head coach he's the he's the young kid the young gun who can kind of go anywhere and kind of do anything he wants so does he want to stick around and see what happens to Mike McCarthy at Dallas does he does he want to take over at Dallas under Jerry Jones that would be an interesting idea 
are there other NFL programs out there that are willing to take a jump on a guy like Kellen Moore and already jump him ahead of the line and make him a head coach? Um, you know, because we've seen that happen as well. Could he be a Sean McVay type guy? I guess is what people might be curious about. And then obviously the connection with Boise is unmistakable. Um, it does feel like right now Kellen Moore, the Boise State job's his if he wants it from, from all indications. And if he doesn't want it, it sounds like Boise is going to probably go after Andy Avalos if, if that makes sense to them. So as far as how this connects with Washington, you've got so many guys that have connections to that program in terms of, of Washington's assistant pool because you've got, you got Keith Bonifa, you got Junior Adams, you've got, you got Scott Huff, Pete Kwiatkowski, Bob Gregory, and I think that's it. But that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. And could you see Bob Gregory going to help Kellen Moore as a defensive coordinator, for instance? Uh, I don't see Pete Kwiatkowski moving. He's making over a million at Washington right now, doing exactly what he wants to do. Um, so I, I would find that move to be strange if it happens. Uh, Bob Gregory would be less strange because I think – I, although I don't know if he would make more money. That's the, you talked about the money aspect of it. Well, the assistant and, pool, I'm guessing is not going to be anywhere as big as Washington. And I want to say Gregory's probably making close to 600 right now as is. Um, so I don't think they'd be able to match that, but maybe I, hard to say, right? Hard to say. Um, was it Junior it, Adams an offensive coordinator before he got here? I don't know, but he was definitely a Boise. I mean, he was, he was there with, with Harson. I thought he was an offensive coordinator at something like Western Kentucky or something. He was. That oh, was he was, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if, yeah, and, and that's, and that's possible. Bonifa could be the same. He, he could do the same thing. So, I mean, these guys have been in the ranks long enough and they've been doing a number of different jobs on offense. So running, a, running an offense would not be a problem for those guys. Um, I just get the sense. I, I don't know about Adam so much because he's a newer guy, but with Keith, for instance, like Keith, I think he, he likes the stability that UW has brought and, and I don't think he wants to leave. He's got kids, young kids, uh, and that kind of thing. So I, I would be a little shocked by that. Junior Adams wouldn't shock me as much. Um, Huff, that would be, that would be an interesting move if, if he went for him as an offensive quarterback because he has done that. Um, they've moved. I remember at a time when Peterson was at Boise and they had Huff and, um, who would have been the tight end coach at the time? I can't remember, but they switched jobs like year after year. Like one was the offensive line coach, one was the tight end coach, and then they flipped it to try to find the right balance and whatnot. But um, clearly the point is there's a lot of connections with Washington and Boise State right now. Um, I could see someone going to help Kellen Moore or even Andy Alvalos at this point, but there's still a lot of time that uh, is going to is gonna go between now and when they hire that coach, Kim, because I, I, from what I've read, what I understand, you know, the, the Broncos are going to hire their AD first and, let, and then let the AD uh, run the search. And whether that search takes one day or a week or a month, who knows? Yeah, the problem going to Boise um, from Washington is Washington pays all their assistants pretty well. Um, I'm guessing that the assistant pool's not going to be real big there. I'd be shocked if they pay their offensive or and defensive coordinator over five, six hundred thousand, you know, and that's pretty close to what the guys are making here. So what's the point? You know, some of the um you know, so that's part of the problem. And just also with Kellen Moore, um, from my understanding, you know, at the end of last year he was kind of a rising shining star, but with what happened at Dallas with Dak Prescott going down and then the issues with Mike McCarthy. 
there's a little bit of shine off of that. So um, I think you could see Kellen Moore possibly interview for some head coaching jobs in the NFL and get an idea and get that experience. But it sounds like he may be a year away from being the guy. And like you said, you know, Chris, with um, the uh, Sean McVay and Brian Flores and I think that uh, the NFL owners are much more in tune with hiring the young guys than hiring the old guys that tend to be retreads, you know, um, and we all know the names. But, uh, you know, that seems like a better move. So it's going to be it's definitely going to be interesting uh, to follow. Um, hey, Chris, I know you've got him somewhere, but uh, just in the next day or so, um, can you rerun the article on the uh, coaching salaries. I know you had that at one point, maybe update that as needed. And I think that would be a good reference point for some of the guys in the coaching search to know what the Washington coaches make and then take a look at the assistant pool. And Chris, you were the one who, you know, was really big on this with um, Jed Fish being hired down at um, Arizona and this assistant pool only being 3.7 million for 10 coaches. That's for a power five school. That's really, really low. Well, what's interesting is that the, the football scoop, the, the coaching guys who are usually on top of the various rumors, you know, when that, you know, cause you know, the rumors around the coaching pools for the assistants or whatnot is just white hot, especially when it leads into the coaching convention, which happens in the next week or two. Um, they're saying that, that Arizona might be able to land Don Brown, the, uh, Michigan defensive coordinator that was just fired under Harbaugh. And Don Brown is super respected. I mean, he, he, you know, back in the day, at least, you know, before the last three or four years, he ran one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, and then the last couple of years, it's gone downhill, uh, pretty quickly, but the guy knows how to run a defense. And if Jed Fish can get Don Brown to run the defense for Arizona, given the pool of money that you're talking about, that would be a major coup. And I think, you know, if he gets him, that's great for the Pac-12. Because the Pac-12 needs to get, you know, these top assistants to come out west and and really try to shake things up a little bit. I think that would be a huge move. Wrapping it up, Scott. Anything else we need to touch bases on? I know there's not much going on in recruiting, but uh, what you got? Uh, I think you might see some more offers go out for 2022 and 2023, guys. I still um, am dubious that Washington's going to even add anybody in the 20. 20- 21 class, unless it's a guy like, uh, JT Tua Malau, which I still think they, I still think they're going to have a real struggle getting him in the boat, but, um, I think he's the one that they're going to turn their focus to. But as far as, uh, 2022, 2023 guys, Washington's really started watching tape on these guys and has been contacting them, getting to know them, making, making some decisions. And, and if there are high school football seasons in Washington, Oregon, uh, California, in um, uh, Colorado, in Nevada, um, schools that wash are schools uh, areas where Washington really recruits heavily. Hawaii, if if you see some, that's when you could see things kind of pick up from a from a scouting standpoint. They'll get more film on these guys. A lot of these kids haven't even had a junior film yet. It's just real tough to know where things are going to stand with a lot of these guys. So um, I think that's kind of what you need to keep an eye on. We'll have to see what happens. Obviously, we're going to be doing a lot of stories and a lot of podcasts between now and, and mid-April. But I think one thing you need to keep an eye on is what the numbers are like with COVID as far as the vaccinations, as far as, um, you know, the, the numbers spiking, not spiking, whatever happens in the spring, because the, these coaches really need to get out on the road and scout these guys. These kids need to be able to come 
to different schools and see them and see what the differences are, meet with the coaches, see the facilities, do all that kind of stuff. And that can't even start right now, at least as of now, until April 15th. So you might not see a lot of commits between now and April 15th. I know there's a few guys who are talking about making a decision. I could see Washington pulling in a guy or two for 2022 here over the next couple couple months. But uh, I think a lot of kids are going to be waiting until they can get out and see some schools before they do do anything. Got anything else, Chris? What do you got? Not really. Just um, I think it's going to be probably the story going forward, at least until – Signing day will be to see if Washington tries to sign a, tra- a grad transfer quarterback or or just a normal transfer quarterback. Uh, I think that would obviously be the uh, priority at this point when you only have two scholarship quarterbacks on roster. Um, they do have a handful of guys um, that have, uh, in terms of walk-ons and whatnot, and I think they've got one coming in 2021, um, that a walk-on from Glacier Peak, I don't remember his name, but, uh, they just, uh, he announced on his Tyson, Tyson something. It might be. I can't remember. Yeah. I feel, I feel awful for not remembering it. Yeah. I should but, have that too. <laughs> they've got plenty of bodies in terms of the mix, in terms of that, in terms of the group, but they do need to get one more scholarship quarterback in there to make it happen. And like I said, they, they made it work with Kevin Thompson and it was just unfortunate timing with injuries and whatnot. Um, I think he could have been a really interesting fit for Washington like the the Wake Forest kid was for Oregon because we saw what he was able to do in the Pac-12 championship game in terms of offering up some some packages and doing some things to help them succeed offensively. Uh, I think Kevin Thompson could have done some of the same types of things. So they might, you know, I'm sure they're looking around, obviously. They need to find one, and I don't think they would get one just to get a body. But at the same time, I think that's going to be the interesting storyline to follow as we move into this new year uh, and we move closer into February. And then obviously, like Scott said, seeing how they finish up the 2021 class. Can they land JT to Malau? Is there another guy out there that we've been kind of on the fringes on thinking about but not thinking? You know, Wynn and Hohohuli, for instance, uh, the linebacker who's looking at Washington, looking at Nebraska. Is is he now a body that they think they can bring in? Is there going to be more attrition? There are definitely some things that we're that we're going to be looking at as it goes forward. But looking for that quarterback, I think is going to be the uh, the key storyline going forward. Just a few shout outs first and foremost, Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. I talked about this on you know the article we put out on Christmas Day, but uh, we just grind and you two just grind and then you wake up. You grind some more. You, uh, Scott gets the kids to bed and then he grinds some more, wakes up in the morning and grinds and we just all just really, really, really grind. And, uh, you know, just Chris, you remember the days well where we put out one article every two or three days, but, uh, now we've, we've got what, three, four a day typically? At least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, three, four a day. And, um, you know, we've grown and, you know, uh, the problem with growing a little bit is we lose a little bit of control, but uh, the content is uh, really kicked up. So um, also, uh, Brian, Tom, Jeff Beck told, you know, uh, SIDs up at University of Washington. I know we get frustrated once in a while with access stuff, but uh, with the pandemic and the Zoom calls and everything, talking to the other publishers at some of the other schools, we got it pretty good compared to what's going on at some of the other schools. So, uh, shout out to those two guys. Uh, Jen Cohen just has uh, been awesome with us. Um, you know, so it's, uh, uh, she's got her hands full. So it's always fun to talk to Jen and uh, she's also been really, really good to us, but it all comes down to our subscribers. You guys are awesome. You know, we have people come, people go, but, uh, those who go usually wind up coming back and 
It's just funny. We just, it's kind of like I said, Chris, I mean, it's how many times does it seem like we should have died? I mean, it just seems like somebody's always trying to kill us. Chris or Scott, have you watched the thing Yellowstone at all? Have you ever have you no, seen that? I have not. It's on my list. You know, where everybody's just coming after them, you know, just because they've got the ranch. And sometimes it feels like that, that everybody's always coming after us. And, you know, we just keep on getting bigger and the, uh, you know, subscriptions go up, page views go up. And, uh, it's all because of, you know, what Scott and Chris do and grinding and getting the information out and just our loyal, loyal subscribers. So, uh, from all of us at dogman.com, New Year's Eve coming up, make sure that you put something good in your glass because I'm going to because I'm doing dry January, so it'll be my last night of drinking. So, um, you know, uh, happy holidays to all of you. Uh, great, great New Year's coming up, and just keep it right here at dogman.com. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs.